Welcome to the news podcast for the 6th Annual World Conference of Science Journalists. Today, I'll be bringing you the highlights from the first official day of the conference, including an insight into the future of science journalism and the problems we face in the light of the bankruptcies of numerous magazines and newspapers. Plus, we hear the issues facing journalists reporting science in countries where creationism is a strong belief and in countries where issues such as climate change are masking the reporting of fatal diseases such as malaria and schistosomiasis. That's all coming up in today's highlights with me, Mira Senthilingam, from thenakedscientists.com. Before the conference was officially launched, there were more workshops for journalists to develop their skills. And one issue addressed in these workshops was the current state of science journalism in different countries including the fallen state of science reporting in the United States. Deborah Blum was a speaker at this session. Well, the current situation is kind of scary, and part of that is the current situation with the American media, which seems to be in a financial freefall. For instance, uh, the owner of the Los Angeles Times filed for bankruptcy, Chicago Tribune bankruptcy, Chicago Sun-Times bankruptcy, Philadelphia Inquirer bankruptcy, there have been other folding papers around the country, and we have this enormous kind of downsizing so that not only science writers are getting squeezed out, but journalists in general. And that's really affected the way the whole news media op- operation has uh, begun to cover science, which is more in a more sketchy way. Now, you also mentioned today that um, places aren't wanting contracted writers anymore. So how is this affecting things? Well, there's more people struggling to put together, like cobble together in different income sources. So if you're a freelancer, first of all, you have no health insurance in the United States. And a lot of times, the income that you get from ma- what we call mainstream media is not that great. So freelancers will take all kinds of different jobs. They'll take uh, a newspaper freelance job. They'll work for a hospital writing a report. Then you blend all of those income sources into a very different kind of science journalist with some real interesting ethical issues because they're not only sort of an independent journalistic observer, they're also someone who is working for some of the institutions they covered. And that, I think, is the really interesting complication for journalists in the United States right now. So what can up-and-coming journalists and current journalists do, do you think, then to kind of make the most of the current situation? What should they be doing? Well, at our journalism school, we really encourage them and train them to try to be multimedia journalists with a diversity of talents. We want them to be uh, good. We teach creative nonfiction for good writing. We train them in niche reporting like science writing. We teach them the fine art of blogging and, and conveying news by Twitter. We teach videography. What we want them to do is see that a story can be told in multiple ways and to be fully armed when they go out into a very competitive workplace. Professor of Journalism at the University of Wisconsin, Deborah Blum. So journalists such as Deborah think future science communicators should be armed with skills to meet the increasing dependence of the masses on new media such as blogs and social network sites. And this was in fact the topic of today's opening plenary. Krishna Barrett created Google News, the biggest online news source in the world. And at the plenary, he gave his thoughts on where science media should go next. Based on my, although I'm not a journalist, based on our experience with the internet, 
There are some ideas that I put forth on the kinds of things that might happen in the evolution of new media. The first is the notion that maybe authors could point to each other, allowing one article to lead the reader to other articles. Because normally what happens is you come to the end of an article, you don't know what to do next. And this is very common in the science community, citing each other. And I think that makes absolute sense on the Internet as well, allowing people to sustain their interest and go to each other. A side effect of this is, of course, that a link structure builds on the Internet that allows us to, to have other journalists nominate what is a good article that everybody should be reading, and consequently the author of good journalism will benefit. The second point I was trying to make was that perhaps we should focus on creating persistent, long-term, long-shelf-life journalism, and who better than news organizations who have contacts with lots of experts? Uh, if you could enlist the experts to come in and volunteer their time to build a, a mountain of knowledge that is actually fresh and persistent and, and current, that would be great. The last idea that I put forth was the notion that perhaps we could rethink the whole notion of what is a news website. Does it really have to live on one domain, or could it also spread all over the web? So why not package your brand, your content, or some prefix thereof, and some monetization units, like ads, and take this package and allow anybody who's a fan of this content to place it on their own website? So in some sense, a part of their website is now allocated to you so that you can continue to make money on their website. So this allows content to be moved by fans of the content to where other fans might be, and thus the content and the monetization will move closer to where readers are. And in some sense, the whole web becomes your monetization playground. Distinguished researcher at Google and creator of Google News, Krishna Bharat. Now another speaker at the opening plenary was Jeff Nesbitt, from the National Science Foundation in the United States. And he explained why he thinks public information officers and funding bodies such as the National Science Foundation should play a bigger role in the science available to the general public. Uh, Part of our mission is to make sure that scientists have the ability to communicate their research findings um, more broadly to, uh, to a U.S. and a global audience. So what, what NSF is doing and what the nature of my talk was uh, today was that we are um, creating lots of different tools, both old media tools and new media tools, to allow scientists to tell their stories. A good example that I talked about today was when uh, CNN decided to end their uh, science coverage and they, uh, they let go their, all their senior producers and their correspondent. Um, NSF uh, approached uh, a lot of the senior producers who are very talented and asked them if, if, we, if we provided a little bit of seed funding, would they be willing to continue to produce um, independent science stories uh, once a week? And that's how Science Nation was born. It's a weekly five-minute video piece um, that is available all over the world that covers uh, very interesting, cool, breaking science that's produced by some of the best television journalists and uh, producers who've covered science for the last 20 years. Now, one argument made by people today was that this is going to lead to an increase in PR and public relations rather than actual journalism. What, what did you say in response to that? We don't profess to, to do um, journalism. What we're doing is we're uh, allowing scientists to tell their stories. So, for instance, uh, when uh, a research paper is coming out, we'll interview the scientists and allow that person to tell their story through podcasts or Twitter or uh, Facebook or just uh, video or, as I was mentioning, in an embargoed uh, virtual 
news briefing so that journalists can ask that researcher question. The goal is to allow the scientists to communicate their science as broadly as possible in a shrinking media market. That was Jeff Nesbitt, Director of Legislative and Public Affairs at the National Science Foundation in the United States. Now, once the conference was in full swing, the afternoon sessions saw a multitude of parallel discussions, varying from debating the credibility of sources to the role of philanthropists in scientific research. Now, we've heard how science journalists are suffering in the USA and how they may need to adapt to use new media in order to survive their profession. But in developing countries, such as Egypt, there are other concerns when it comes to reporting science. Here's Nadia Elawadi, board member of the World Federation of Science Journalists. The problems that we have in the Arab world related to science journalism are several. We do have a large number of science journalists, especially in Egypt, um, that are now focusing on covering science and health and environmental issues. And it's increasing in the Arab world as well. The main problem, in my opinion, um, that our journalists have is language, because that limits their access to information. Um, Another important problem is training. Um, Although we do have some training in the region, we need more. Um, We need our journalists to be trained in basic journalism and in um, the science issues. They need to have some capacity building on the issues that they cover to understand them and to be able to simplify them for general audiences. And what would you say the differences are in terms of being a regional reporter based in countries like Egypt in terms of picking which scientific topics are important to cover? There's a difference between what should be happening and what is happening. Um, There should be more coverage of issues of importance to the region, like hepatitis C, like bilharziases, like tuberculosis. Um, These are issues of very... They're very relevant to our audiences. Water. Um, They're not getting enough coverage, though. So that means that there's a problem in what, what issues our journalists are focusing on. Usually what I find is happening is that they're copycatting international media. So they follow the international media agenda. So whatever is being covered to a large degree in international media, that's what the Arab media will start covering and focusing on. And they they tend to do that rather than focus on the internal issues because it's easier that way. Um, you You can take stories off the wires and put it into your newspaper and get a little quote from one of our local scientists and you're done. Um, it's much harder to find the local story and report on it in depth and get your sources and get your background information um, and then ha- get it published. It's much harder that way and they, they'll resort to the easier stuff. That was Nadia Elawadi, board member of the World Federation of Science Journalists and past president of the Arab Science Journalists Association. Now we've heard the thoughts and mindsets of journalists based in developing countries such as Egypt. But another scientific hurdle facing science journalists that was discussed today was one that is largely affecting the Western world. And that's the reporting of creationism, a topic that most science journalists will denounce and protest against in an instant. But how should it be reported in countries where residents believe it to be true? James Randerson is a journalist at The Guardian, and he gave his views on reporting about creationism. Now, I don't think you need to you know, take the, the, the question of journalistic balance to the extreme and say... Creationism is a legitimate point of view and um, it should be reported in the same way as in opposition to, to evolution. To my mind, that's clearly absurd because it's, it's not a scientific position, it's incorrect. The idea that the Earth is 6,000 years old is just wrong and roundly dispute, disproved. You know? So it's, it's good, I think, as a community that we, uh, we debate these issues. Um, 
about, about how far science journalists go go native in their field and um, to what extent we're cheerleaders for science and then we're aware of those things, we have them in the back of our mind. I'm actually um, uh, the producer of a session tomorrow that I'm also chairing about investigative journalism in, in science because and there are all sorts of reasons why investigative journalism doesn't happen as much as it should to do with resources and time and things like that but I, I also think there's a problem that science journalists are prone to feeling part of the community that they're reporting on and so uh, are less likely to ask awkward questions and rattle cages sometimes, which I think is a bad thing. James Randerson from The Guardian newspaper. Now that's it for today's podcast, but join me tomorrow for more highlights from day two of the World Conference of Science Journalists. Until then, thank you for listening. I'm Mira Senthilingam from thenakedscientists.com. <laughs>